Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right, you're wrong. Of course, happy Thanksgiving. That is why we are here today, uh, taking a break from our numeric episodes, our chronological um, dive into the path of the contrary, here today to celebrate Turkey Day, and uh, we've brought along quite the, the whopper, quite the feast here today. It is a feast. It is a female-directed feast, because Thanksgiving happened to fall this year uh, on our female filmmakers arc mm-hmm. so we scoured rotten tomatoes for a thanksgiving movie that was directed by a woman and like we mentioned at the beginning of this arc there's a lot of really interesting movies that don't qualify because they're not too high or too low on the tomato meter mm-hmm. but we just could not pass up this one uh so we went with a 65 percenter mm-hmm. which is usually not a score that would make an episode unless it was maybe a gray area doesn't yield itself to the contrarian's treatment yeah but we're like screw it because this is a well-known director a well-known actress the cast is a who's who yep and uh and it's very much about thanksgiving so mm. how could we uh just not do home for the holidays the 1995 uh jodie foster directed classic I, I, I would like to believe that it's a cult classic somewhere. I, I think it would have to have its following somewhere out there in I mean, 65%. the pantheon of film. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this was a, a Julio suggestion. He he scoured the, the dark web and came across this one. We, we can call it payback for the family stone. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that later. Uh, yeah, 65% is still considered fresh in mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. And as usual, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And we are right. Correct. Because this movie, I mean, it's no Family Stone, and it's no, it's not even a 65% in my book. No, it's a it's a strange tale of uh, a brother that likes to take pictures of his sister naked. Okay. Yeah, that, and they present it like it's, it's a normal thing. Exactly. It, there's a lot of weirdness going on in this family that's presented as if like, oh, this is America, right? This is just <laughs> normal Trump's America. Yep. 
So uh, there were the 65% that liked it. Who who among them had anything to say? Oh, so many people. Uh, Jeffrey M. Anderson from Combustible Celluloid said, A wonderful, big-hearted, messy Thanksgiving story. Got the messy part, I right? was about to say. Uh, Jim Shelby from Palo Alto Weekly says, I found myself shaking my head in embarrassed, smiling recognition. You're telling us a little too much about yourself. <laughs> uh, Eleanor Ringelkater from Film Scouts says, For the holidays or any other time of the year, there's no place like Jodie Foster's deliciously warm-hearted and well-observed comedy. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. <laughs> he says, The movie, which is about the Thanksgiving family reunion from hell, is not exactly a comedy and yet not a drama either. Like many family reunions, it has a little of both, elements and the strong sense that madness is being held just out of sight and finally marianne johansson from flick philosopher says perhaps the most realistic holiday movie i've ever seen wow <laughs> this oddly charming poignant and blackly funny film is a treasure not to be missed and we did not miss it we, we found it we dug it out certainly did not miss it uh, so this is again Jodie Foster directed, and it stars Holly Hunter, who this would be Miss Hunter's first appearance on The Contrarians, correct? I mean, I I plugged her movie always uh, mm. a few episodes ago, but I I think yeah, this might be the first time. Okay, so she plays Claudia, who is uh, was once an artist, but now basically works in a museum to repair and patch up older paintings, works of art, things of that nature. It only comes to play in the opening sequence. Correct. It, it, it's an excuse to give us some weird imagery during the opening credits. Yeah, and accompanied by Rusted Root, uh, who that was the first 20 minutes of the movie was me figuring out who the band was. Uh, it definitely sets the tone of 90s right away. And if that doesn't, the hat that Holly Hunter wears in the next scene definitely does. Or the fact that uh, uh, it feels like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't say it while we were watching it, but did it feel to you like Holly Hunter was playing a younger version of Holly Hunter? I mean, I know it's it's a younger version of Holly Hunter from yes. you know, the big sick, but but even for Holly Hunter in the 90s, it felt to me like it was Holly Hunter playing Holly Hunter from like always, Yeah, let's say. And I found it off-putting. I know it's a comedy, but it just felt like I just wanted her to act her age. Her demeanor was a bit off-putting. Yeah, it was just like, you have a daughter. <laughs> you need to grow up. Uh, yeah, Claudia Larson, excuse me. I had to scour my notes there for the last name. But she works in a museum, and the first scene of the film is her getting fired from her job. Yes, and she makes our boss. Yes, for no reason. Yeah, she. I at first I thought she was going to like utilize it to try to get her job back or something. Right. But there was a moment when the, after they stopped kissing and the guy starts apologizing yeah. that I thought, oh, okay, she's crafty. She's this is this is a character that Holly this, Hunter would play. Yeah, this has got to be interesting. But no, she just sneezes because mm -hmm. uh, that's a running gag through the movie. That's right. She gets. She's getting sick. That's, she's got the holiday She's got allergies. the big sick. Oh. <laughs> uh, so upon losing her job right before the holidays, you know, as it happens, she's going to head back home to catch me if I miss this. But do you know where home is? Uh, home is where the heart is. <laughs> home is where you make it. I learned that from another holiday movie. Uh, I didn't catch where. I Did they say – I mean, I'm sure they said it at some point. Mm -hmm. uh they talk about the traffic or the – I don't know. She takes a plane. 
Yeah. And traffic is terrible, but uh, that's America. Uh, all this not before we get to meet uh, her daughter, Kit, of course, played by Claire Danes, making her triumphant return to the Contrarians and to a, the triumphant return to a holiday episode. Yeah. She uh, – it's one of the many weird parallels to uh, <laughs> our first holiday movie we did, uh, The Family Stone. Uh the Danes factor. The Danes factor, yeah. But she is Claudia's 16-year-old daughter uh, who is doing her own thing for the holidays. Which I understand, you know, giving your kids a sense of individualism and, you know, uh, living their life. But that's pretty irresponsible to leave your 16-year-old daughter for the holidays. Yeah, especially after she announces that basically she's going to have sex with her boyfriend. She's going to have sex she with her boyfriend. She is going to be the turkey getting stuffed. Oh, that's... <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> but it's even worse in the movie because the movie plays it off and it's like, oh. They're Molly the cool Hunt. mom and exactly. daughter combo. Yes, yeah. She's, they look like sisters when they're, you know, because Claire Danes takes over the driving, right? Mm-hmm. Holly Hunter drives up to her and, and then picks her up. Then Claire Danes starts driving. And it's more like Claire Danes giving Holly Hunter a pep talk. Yeah, and, and truth, like uh, full disclosure, I went, in, I went into this blind and so when they kissed, I just figured they were a couple. Because <laughs> they, for the way that uh, Holly Hunter, imagine that movie. Yes, the way Holly Hunter's written in the first scene and just the context of it and the way they talk to one another, it doesn't paint the picture of a mother daughter relationship. Right. It's it's more like they're it, it's just trying so hard to be oh cool mom and really mature kid mm-hmm. because Claire Danes is a sixteen year old that actually he is pretty open with her mom about the fact that she's going to have sex for the first time with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, just be cool, mom. Breathe. <laughs> and so uh, off home goes Holly Hunter. Uh, she's, of course, picked up by at the airport by her parents. Um, Henry and Adele, now Henry, uh, Charles Durning, I had to look up his name, plays the pastor and everyone loves Raymond. That's how uh, brought this all together. Um, but... They could not be more of a cliche of parents from '90s, you know, comedies. So the mom, the mom is Anne Bancroft, right? Correct. Okay, because I was, I, I didn't until I saw the end credits. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize her. Um, yeah, it's, it's exactly everybody in this movie is a character, which seems a pretty egregious sin for mm-hmm. a movie that's supposed to be about everyday families in everyday America. Yeah. Right? It's like, I, I can't understand those critics that go, oh, yeah, that's what my family is like. No, that's not. Whose family is like that? No. You kill them all in, in one night. It, it, and so, yeah. They're, they're all these really weird, intolerant, but also written to be progressive liberal type people. It's right. And they're odd. all so kooky yeah. and weird. And, and, I mean, you're not even getting half of it until uh, – Downey Jr. shows up later. I was about to say. I mean, even at this point, I'm I'm a bit checked out. I, you know, give me Craig T. Nelson or <laughs> Diane Keaton. Uh, so her parents, their main priority is the mother's just, of course, talking about the food preparation, and the dad is trying to sneak a bite at the pumpkin pie. <laughs> yeah, Again, but, characters. Right. If that wasn't enough, it's also. I mean, you can take it further, and the dad's just absent-minded and just jolly. I guess and the mom is all uptight mm-hmm. and uh, smoking cigarettes, smoking cigarettes nonstop. And it's kind of weird that they speak in normal voices, at least, because mm-hmm. I would expect them to just go all like full on Disney. Yeah. Uh, so this segues to um, a car 
driving down the the street blaring the theme song from shaft and two guys in it you don't really get a clear shot on their face but they have night vision goggles and they pull up to the house like they're fucking casing it like they're gonna rob the place doesn't make much sense but lo and behold turns out it's uh robert downey jr he gets a hell of an tommy larson yeah and goes up and rips the covers off his sisters who's sleeping in her uh underwear and just starts taking pictures of her with a polaroid camera yeah um so how long did it take you to figure out that robert downey jr was gay in this movie uh, it would have been within like the first five minutes of his character being introduced. <laughs> was it the hair? Or <laughs> <laughs> it was not the hair. I mean, the hair. It was just a good look at that time. This was the same year as Empire Records. He had the the AJ going on the right. Johnny Whitworth haircut. Yep. Um. So no, it's something about because the context so far when Holly Hunter refers to him and Jack, you think that might Jack might be his son or something. Um. Right, but, and then he shows up with this other dude, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Where's Jack? What happened well, to Jack?" <laughs> pump the brakes, there, kid. Well, Not I, some I, other dude. I, well, I said this other dude, so I wouldn't really steal your thunder. Oh, okay, I know you want to properly introduce him. That's right. It's uh, Dermot Maroney, Dylan McDermott. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> he making his contrarian's debut. Uh, Dylan McDermott shows up and is looking as '90s fresh as could be. He's got the Ross Geller haircut. The eyebrows waxed. Everything looks good. And and he is here's yet another weird, I guess, mirror effect with the the family stone because the family stone, I mean, has Dermot Moroni yes. <laughs> in it. That's I, I got ahead of myself. Got too excited. Yeah, uh, and and here, I mean, well, Moroni, they're not playing similar characters, but the type no. is. Moroni is uptight in mm-hmm. Family Stone, and McDermott here, he's he's like the cool guy. Yeah. And, I mean, talk about, like, the movie constantly being off-putting. I was <laughs> I was annoyed by how quickly he made himself at home. Because mm-hmm. he's not – when he shows up, everybody assumes that he's Dowdy Jr.'s new boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But then we come to find out that he isn't. He isn't even gay. No. So it is just some random dude that works for Downey Jr. and came – his with character's him. name should have been Red Herring, <laughs> yes. but instead it was Leo Fish, which I guess maybe that's an homage. Hey, Fish, Herring, yeah, yeah I like it. Exactly. Red Leo. <laughs> Red Leo. But yeah, he, he just basically, if you had missed the beginning of the movie and you didn't see his introduction, you would think that he was another brother, mm-hmm. uh, somebody that's- Close to the family. Close to the family. He's there helping himself to the food and- Calling everybody by their first names. So it's like never. I've I've had few precious Thanksgiving where I wasn't working and mm-hmm. I've been at someone else's house, and I would never act like that. Yeah, and I'm cooler than that guy. <laughs> I don't know. Your hair is not quite on par with the the McDermott do. Well, but it's not the '90s anymore. That's Alex. true. That's true. Uh, so this, of course, le- leads into the next morning, which is Thanksgiving morning, and uh, the trio consisting of Bob Downey, uh, Dylan McDermott, and Claudia are sent to, they got to pick up some goods and also pick up Aunt Gladys. And just along through this process, it's just this whole scene was to establish the old hometown feel. And it, there was a parade going on and she ran into someone from high school and Not very, just, very paint by numbers. I want to say that that wasn't just someone. It was a... Uh... Amy's John Ritter's wife. She is here. in uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Amy Asbeck. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She gets she gets her one scene here, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's pretty stereotypical. 
she she gets all the details of uh, Holly Hunter's life wrong, <laughs> humiliates her, and then McDermott shows up and, and, and shames her for wearing a fur coat. <laughs> yes. Comes in for the save. Cool guy. Yeah. And then, I mean, just contradictory. He shames her for wearing a fur coat, and then they go and eat two turkeys. <laughs> Waste most of the turkeys, really. <laughs> for real, for the sake of comedic effect. Uh, the character of Aunt Gladys is introduced into the fray. Aunt Gladys played by... Uh, Geraldine Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she is, in a very odd way, meant for nothing but comedic effect. Right, but she's also probably the most tragic character in the movie, right? Yeah. Because she is mentally ill, I guess. I guess, or she's just getting older and dementia setting in, and, like, everyone just... Humors her? Yeah. And, you know, it's the, yeah, the walls are talking to you type of thing. <laughs> it's, uh... She's definitely part of one of the most awkward scenes later on. Yes, one of the most out-of-place scenes, for sure. Um, But the way they introduce her, she's watering her plants, and then she just goes out in the car and farts. They, yeah, and for like how lazy could Jodie Foster be here to employ a fart joke? It's just desperation. And then you're gonna pass gas. It's gonna be real funny. <laughs> it's just it's desperation. I think that when you have a comedy that's not working, and you're like, okay, fuck it, we need a laugh here, and nothing else is happening. Yeah, it's just fart noise. Fart noise. It's <laughs> tale as old as time. The, the one thing is the reaction shots from everybody else: Holly mm-hmm. Hunter, McDermott, and Downey Jr. It's almost like that reaction is probably the one that they had when Jodie Foster said, and here she farts. <laughs> they were like, they just look like, is this is this really happening? Just bummed. Uh, they get back home, and Sister Joanne has arrived with her husband. I don't even remember his character's name because it's the fucking Goot. It's Steven Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg, who up until the final frame of his appearance in the film does not smile once. It's it's a, it's a waste of Gutenberg. It is. You, you cast Gutenberg to be funny mm-hmm. to be just the the, the joy just, the life right, the joy the not paul just, riser yes not just the comic relief but you want he's a happy character with with that joyful energy and mm-hmm. instead here he's frowning the entire time he barely he doesn't even want to be there right he's just like angry and even when he when he talks he doesn't he's one of the few characters that doesn't get a speech mm-hmm. in the movie uh which again why would you have steve gutenberg in your movie if you're not going to give him an Oscar clip. Everybody else gets an Oscar clip in this movie. Well, Steve Gutenberg at one point does try to speak, but it's drowned out by <laughs> right. everyone else, every other character in the film speaking. But Sister Joanne, from right off the, you know, right from go, it's clear that she is not as close as uh, uh, Tommy and Claudia are. And she's got shitty little kids, and Steve Gutenberg just doesn't like her family. And they brought their own food, basically a competing meal to go against the mother's. Yeah, so she's she's even more uptight than uh, Anne Bancroft, um, and so yeah, you talk about characters. So Gutenberg is just angry, and Joanne is uptight, and mm-hmm. the kids are brats, and that's it. There's never really any more depth than that, and it's never really explained why they're that way. Right, it's just like, oh, isn't that what family is like? And really, the whole point of the movie, and it's hammered over and over again, is that. Families suck. Thanksgiving sucks. And why do we put ourselves through this? Mm -hmm. And I guess the end of it says, oh, because you might meet someone. (laughs) It's possible. For no explicable reason, we get the highlight of the film in which there's a cameo appearance from this would be also a Contrarian's debut, correct? I think so. Uh, The one and only David Strathairn as Russell. An actor's actor. A man's man. 
and uh, I believe we both agreed he would have had a. What what distinction will we give him? Because the Embry that we, that's something we can discuss at a later point in time. But right, it's kind of like uh, Sam Elliott and Up in the Air. He's on camera for about 90 seconds, but God damn it, I'm going to hit it out of the park. Yes, we need to establish some sort of a award for, for, for the, the cameo. cameo. The cameo. You know, that's that's not just somebody uh, that necessarily steals a movie, but somebody that comes in and obviously... Cause at the time, Strat Heron, I mean, he he was not a name, I'm assuming. He no. was just working actor, he solid. He was youthful and virile, and his, we were both... The his five hair. o'clock shadow, his hair, yeah. all of it. He's, he's fixing the... What is he fixing? The, Nothing's the broken. Well, so just a fucking scene that goes absolutely nowhere because it's uh, what is it? It's explained that he used to date Holly Hunter, and she broke his heart. Yeah, and then so I guess in an attempt to reunite them, her mom made up some story about the water heater or some shit being broken, and then it just leads to David Strathairn going down what's happened in his life since they broke up, and it's the most depressing shit ever. Yes, and you would think that that would make Holly Hunter stop her whining and appreciate that life is good that you know her, her family is still with her <laughs> yeah so he both his parents died in a car crash and then his uh girlfriend left his fiance left him for his best friend and then to make matters worse to make it our main characters even less likable it sh- there's a, a wide shot of robert downey jr listening to all of it laughing in the background it's fucking horrible it's not, you know, what the pilgrims and Indians agreed upon. We nope. were supposed to come together. Is this entire family desecrates the spirit of Thanksgiving over yes. and over? Oh, you know what I wrote? I wrote David Strathair playing Dustin Hoffman because he really has a Dustin Hoffman air to him. Uh, even the look, I think. That, I think it's the way that he combed his hair or something, uh, and the way he delivers his lines. It's a little awkward. Mm-hmm. Of course, Dustin Hoffman. We can't praise him any longer. So. I was, I was, I kept myself from making the going the extra mile and going like I'm sure he wasn't molesting anybody on set, but <laughs> well, and of course it, that does kind of have a similarity because much like Dustin Hoffman just made very general generalized statements and apologies, like yeah, if I did this, I'm sorry. Much like this movie, it's just a generalized movie in the sense of yeah, I mean this is a movie, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do what you want. Um, so lunch is served. Both turkeys are up for grabs. Uh, there's a dispute on who's going to be carving each because, uh, all of a sudden without any prior explanation, the dad's got a bad wrist, I guess, just for the sake of the movie. Um, and the Gutenberg starts just going off about banks, banks and cash <laughs> is king and fucking makes no goddamn sense. And he's just talking to himself and we kept, uh, watching it and, one of us said, you know, is he going to stab somebody? Because he, he's just, like, getting angry and angry to himself, and everyone's talking over him louder and louder. Yeah, there's maybe five different conversations going on. None of them interesting. And it's not even a big family. There's, like, six people there. <laughs> right. I think half of them are just talking to themselves, yeah. like Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, it's not the family stone in that, you know, you have this big, you know, biracial gay couple, and then the, uh, the deaf guy who's also in the biracial gay couple. No, these guys are super white. <laughs> the closest they get to, to tempting minority is the fact that Robert Downey Jr. is gay. But really, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's almost like it doesn't count mm-hmm. because he doesn't have his boyfriend there. No. Uh, I mean, they save it for a big reveal later that, oh, he's actually married, but... But still. 
In said reveal, his family is like ashamed of it. <laughs> yeah, there, it, it's treated as as this dark secret. <laughs> that, that's right, because uh, Holly Hunter asks Joanne, "Where where is Jack?" And it's like, "Oh, everyone in town knows." And it's like, "Oh Jesus, what happened? Did he kill him?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's they build it up like it's just, and I I understand this is the nineties and this we're, is twenty two years ago. Yes, so of course it was a little more scandalous, but really by the time that's revealed, like, oh, what happened to Jack? Like nothing happened to Jack. They got married on a beach. Uh, I guess it wasn't legal back then. Probably. Yeah. Still. Neither was a lot of things Robert Downey Jr. was doing back (laughs) at that point in time. Considering you have Robert Downey Jr. playing this character, it's really not that big of a deal. And, you know, Robert Downey Jr., you can see in between takes his nose bleeding and (laughs) him just, you know, all right, let's roll. Let's do this. Yeah. I mean, talk about... It's uh, just like everybody else. He's playing a character. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. just like the crazy young brother uh, who happens to be gay. But- I choose to believe, though, that a lot of his in, uh, little uh, quirks and idiosyncrasies were just him. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> totally. Dude, that's just like – that's young, That's how I imagined uh, young Robert Downey Jr. was. Mm-hmm. He's just like all over the place. I hope that at least that – made Jodie Foster happy. I feel really bad if he was just out of control and she didn't know what to do. She's <laughs> like, fine, do what you want. Calm, calm down, sir. Calm down, please. Bob. Bobby. <laughs> yes, and this is the most awkward and out-of-place scene in the entire film where Aunt Gladys stands up. She, like, chugs in a, ch- a whole chalice full of wine, and then I guess this summons her the courage to admit her love for the dad, the priest from Everyone Loves Raymond. <laughs> Yeah, she she goes even further back and talks about how they I guess they made out at some point mm-hmm. back when they were younger, uh, which it's just so weird because once again this works against the idea that I feel the movie was really trying to push that this is an everyday family having an everyday Thanksgiving and oh aren't things so crazy on a regular Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. There is no way they're not acting like real human beings. Can you imagine if your aunt stands up in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner and starts talking about how? Your dad cheated on your mom with her. Mm-hmm. That's like nobody would be like, tell us more. Yeah. But everybody at that table is just letting her talk and actually enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Holly Hunter, and fucking Leo Fish, they just have big smiles on their faces like like it's story time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then basically once she finishes her diatribe, everyone's just like, oh, crazy Aunt Gladys. Better not worry about it. And then there's just lots of talking and everyone going back and forth and arguing about their lives and whatnot. And then for no reason, it turns into like this slapstick comedy where the turkey goes flying and lands on Joanne. And then they try to get it off of her. And, of course, they turn it upside down and all the stuffing falls out. It's uh, it's what happens on every Thanksgiving, I'm sure. Again, parallel lives or parallel films, as it were. Family Stone showed you how to execute the pratfall, the yeah. slapstick comedy with the yeah. food. They did slapstick right. Yeah. Whereas this one is just kind of like out of nowhere, and it's just lazy. It's it's the fart noise, right? It's once again, it's like holy cow, this scene is going on for like fifteen minutes now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we do to get the audience back after this really weird story from Geraldine Chaplin about the t- like? I can't stress enough the turkey thing where they try to pick it up and they accidentally turn it upside down and spill it all over Joanne. It that's like fucking Happy Madison shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think this is around the time that you turned to me and you said, Jodie Foster has 
issues with tone. <laughs> well, it's true. Um, and this, of course, Joanne retaliates. She gets mad and stands up and tells the whole family that uh, Tommy married Jack, uh, not Dana Carvey. <laughs> yes. We get to see Jack later, and we both thought that he looked a lot like Dana Carvey. But they got married on a beach, and she, in a very homophobic and, and you know, talk about things that don't really age well, implies that he wore a dress. And yeah. then tells Tommy about, you know, I have friends that live there. There's other people. You know, how embarrassing this is for me. And it's like, again, kind of like you said, I understand this was slightly scandalous. But still, I would think we were a bit far enough along to not worry about who's marrying who. But I, we're still worried about it. So. Yeah, well, I mean, cut to do the remake of Home for the Holidays 20 years later. And now, like, Tommy's running for office. He probably just got elected in Virginia or something. And yeah. everybody's like, fuck yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> I want to watch that movie now. <laughs> the follow-up where he wins. He wins. He's like... The goot pulls up with the MAGA sticker on his car. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> he comes out with the open carry strap. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, but, of course, all this bickering, all this feuding and fussing, the mom gets stressed out and leaves. Uh, and then she goes and <laughs> fucking... I thought it was a panic room the way it opened, but it's just... It's the pantry, but the door has the same texture or the same wallpaper, so you don't right. really see it, which is cool. But this leads to Holly Hunter tracking down her mom, and they have the mother-daughter moment. Yeah, they they have a mother-daughter moment that transitions to a mother-son moment with mm -hmm. Downey Jr. And this movie's basically just more to alienate Joanne. <laughs> yes, and, and it's just I see that everybody gets their moments here, like as far as getting their speeches. But it's not quite true, I guess, because, yeah, the crazy Anne gets her speech. But with a lot of them, with a lot of the other characters, they just kind of get a false start where you're like, okay, here it is. Here's coming the Oscar clip, right? Mm -hmm. And then it didn't. Like, there was one time where you said, I sense an Oscar clip coming. There's so many happen. setups. Where, right. Like the lighting and the way like it starts off, everything seems like, it, okay, here we go. Right. You think that – I could have been a contender. <laughs> Yes. You think at this point that uh, either Downey Jr. or the mom are going to have like their big speech mm -hmm. where, you know, they talk about his sexuality and because she's she's upset that he didn't invite her to the wedding. He didn't take any pictures or whatever. But it just really goes nowhere. He mm -hmm. just kind of says, well, I am who I am. <laughs> and then she's like, well, me too. <laughs> and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then. Oh, yeah. Then he sits down to eat with Holly Hunter. They have one bite and then they hug. Mm -hmm. Fade to black. I love that shot though, because there's it, Holly Hunter's got this fucking just long ass cigarette hanging out of her mouth, <laughs> and she's looking like a mechanic while she's putting these fucking meals together. Uh, yeah, it, it. And then what's the next scene? The leftovers. Uh, we did fail to mention that this movie's broken down by title cards that have no flow. Yeah, it's just it's just random one of shit. them's mom and dad, one of them's food. <laughs> <laughs> just randomly, Jodie Foster. <laughs> uh, Claire Danes calls to report that she has not lost her virginity yet. She's <laughs> not had sex with Tim. Um, shocker, she comes to find out that a 16-year-old guy is not the most mature or stable and probably not the person, you know, that you should approach a maturity of having sex with. Like, like we say in many of these, uh, when we talk about many of these movies, Probably a more interesting movie happening somewhere else. <laughs> the, the Claire Danes movie where she just eventually calls in and you get a glimpse at the craziness in, in Holy Hunter's Thanksgiving. That's probably a better movie, a more interesting movie. 
uh, a young girl realizing that, oh, maybe it's not the right time to have sex. Yeah. On Thanksgiving. So on the bizarro foot, you know, comparing Claire Danes here to Family Stone, here she seems to be the most grounded and intelligent character and also, you know, making the best choices. Whereas not to question her intelligence in the Family Stone, but her character is quite problematic. Yeah, she she makes some bad choices in, mm-hmm. in the Family Stone. Whereas here she is once again on the phone. She's calming down her mom like like her mom is a child. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Holy Hunter goes as far as locking herself in the bathroom just so she can just stay away Smell from the Smell the family. soap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the good news is, yeah, she she's decided against it. But where the fuck was she? They're all in, like, fucking dark tones, and they're wearing fucking, like, Catholic school uniforms. It was a very strange shot. I don't know where she was, but they all voted for Trump in that room. (laughs) Uh, We cut to the front yard where, despite it being Thanksgiving and snowing, the dad is washing uh, Steve Gutenberg's car. I'm not sure if I missed something about why he's doing this. Uh, no, not then, but I think later uh, it was when you were in the bathroom that the mom mentions at some point that your dad always has to wash everybody's cars. It's such a random line. <laughs> it feels like a very transparent attempt of justifying the fact that, well, they needed him to be washing the cars. So the fucking have- Avengers. How much black magic did dad have <laughs> to summon to get you back? Uh, but, of course, this leads to the showdown of the of the century where the Goot and Iron Man fight. So while he's watching the car, they're playing just a pickup game of – not even a serious game of pickup football. Right. It's, it doesn't make sense why – It just shows how miserable Steve Gutenberg is in his life in this film. Right. That he'll get so angry over a game that doesn't seem to have any rules. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, he just loses it. Yeah. Like uh, – Leo Fish catches the ball and he's like 59 to 0. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what kind of scoring is this? But it leads to a fight between uh, Steve Gutenberg and Robert Downey Jr. And the Goot has full mount. And basically, Iron Man tries to punch him, but he misses and hits Dylan McDermott in the face. He started to punch Cap, but instead he gets Bucky. <laughs> uh, and Dylan McDermott, you know, no battle scars to show from this. <laughs> No, they make a. I think they make more of a big deal later when they're just taking care of Downey Jr., who is just wet. Because mm-hmm. what happens is the dad to stop the fight starts hosing him down. down. Yeah, because we didn't get enough slapstick comedy. Yet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, through all this, as Dylan McDermott is getting you know patched up, Leo Fish getting his nose back to normal, uh, Jack calls. Not Dana Carvey reaches out. We see see a shot of him. And they're super progressive apartment, and I, I don't know where they live. It's just like the only city that I'm familiar with in this is that Holly Hunter's character lives in Chicago, right? Yeah, because they keep talking about. Uh, no, I think I think they're in Chicago. Like the the mom is also in Chicago because why would they have to take a flight though? I don't know because she's in a hurry. <laughs> she's a flight Austin to Houston. I mean, I take it all the time every year. Uh, no, because when she. She says when she's talking to Amy Asbeck, uh she says, "Oh, and you live uh where do you live now?" And she says in Chicago, but not here. Mm-hmm. So, that would make it sound like like her parents She said St. Louis. Maybe they live in St. Louis. I don't oh, know. Oh, well, I don't know. Problem Obviously, is I'm not going to go back and rewatch this to figure it out. Also, definitely not the most important part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> because the whole point is this could happen anywhere because mm-hmm. this is just a regular American Just family. home for the holidays. Yep. Uh, but Jack calls. Yeah, right. It doesn't say Chicago for the holidays or St. Louis for the holidays. It says home. Home. And that is where you make it. 
Uh, Jack calls to wish a, a happy Thanksgiving. And at this point, despite, you know, just a few frames earlier, the dad being very apprehensive towards the whole thing, he just accepts it and tells him congratulations. Yeah, it's – well, he gets another more more lengthy Oscar moment, like mm-hmm. a real character moment. But I guess this is the one moment that he gets to shine a little bit because mm-hmm. he just basically congratulates him on being married to her, to his son. It, yeah, and then the movie betrays Bob Downey Jr. in that – up until this point, he's just been happenstantially gay, and then they turn him into a cliche where he like starts crying when he hears his boyfriend on the phone. Yeah, he goes like, "I don't know if I can take it anymore." Okay, what's happening? <laughs> you are eating. You you didn't even get punched. You punch your friend. I mean, it's. I I have serious issues with the way Jodie Foster depicts Thanksgiving mm-hmm. because it really. The way the characters act, you think it's like some sort of torture chamber, but no, this is just. They have food. They have family. They it, Robert Downey Jr. hasn't even been home for 12 hours. Right. And he's just having a breakdown all of a sudden mm-hmm. because he's not in his his hipster apartment <laughs> and wherever it is that it's supposed to be. Uh, so Joanne and the Goot got in such a huff and left. They left all their food behind. And so basically someone needs to run the leftovers to them. And through pantomime – Tommy sets up this scenario in which Claudia and Leo Fish will take the food back to them because he wants them to hit it off. Right. By now, she's realized, like everybody else in the movie, that Leo Fish is not gay. Mm-hmm. Because I guess back when the big revelation happened that Tommy was married, then... Uh... He's just a gorgeous heterosexual man that was injected in here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's when you're like, okay, now it doesn't make any sense that he's acting like he's part of the family. He's yeah. just some random dude that got invited to Thanksgiving. Potentially, from the right perspective, this could be presented as like a horror movie where this guy, you know, psychologically penetrates the entire family. Takes advantage of them because they're just too busy fighting each other. (laughs) Because you were home. Uh, Bob Downey offers up his GTO, so they head out to take them the leftovers. Uh, Leo is just rambling on about fucking God knows what. Because he's a cool guy. He's he's kind of trying to give a meaning to the movie, mm-hmm. right? He's talking about life and how you have to make the most of it. And Holy Hunter is just too tired <laughs> yeah. to care for it. Just like the rest of the audience, uh, we don't really care. It's too late in the movie for this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, We we just want to know, are they going to like get it on or or not? And then the movie teases us. Because mm-hmm. they uh, they get home and they start making out. They get, they get to the Joanne's home. Mm-hmm. And they're just making out on the front doorstep. And then we get... Are you know, if it was a trailer for a horror movie, it would be the closing shot. Uh, pale, dimly lit Steve Gutenberg just cracking the door open, looking out at them. Very, very un- unsettling. With his trademark home for the holidays frown. <laughs> He's so angry the entire movie. Uh, this is where I got up to go to the restroom, though. But from what I took away from this, it's kind of a go nowhere scene where Claudia goes to talk to Joanne and. Uh, yeah, it, Joanne's it, just miserable. Yeah, she's uh, because she was so upset. She's working out. That's that's how she handles uh, stress, I guess. And uh, so she goes to the basement, and she's on the elliptical or doing steps or something. And uh, and they have it out, and and then that's it. They yell at each other, <laughs> get nowhere. Uh, Holy Hunter storms off, and then you have like the big acting moment for for the sister where after Holly Hunter's left, she stops doing the steps and just has like a little bit of a breakdown similar to 
Downey Jr.'s breakdown on the phone. It's the same thing. Where early she's not talking to anybody, so she's just she just kind of like sinks in in the machine and mm-hmm. cries for like two seconds, and then she composes herself, and then she gets back to exercising. It's uh, signs when Mel Gibson starts eating the cheeseburger and then breaking down, <laughs> crying. Yes. This is this is a moment in the script that where Jodie Foster got it to sign. It's like <laughs> you get this moment. <laughs> it's gonna be real big. Uh, so, of course, this just leads to more flirtatious behavior between Leo and Claudia. Uh, they eventually make it back home. Claudia discovers that Leo has seen a naked picture of her and kind of goes nowhere because they just end up making out anyway. She seems perturbed at first, but... But then she doesn't care? No. She must be used to Downey Jr. taking lots of pictures of her anyway. Just showing them to everybody. I mean, he has because this is... Before smartphones or anything. So he's just carrying around uh, a Polaroid the mm-hmm. entire movie. Who does that? A quirky, quirky character. That's right. Because we never know what he does for a living. I mean, he could be a photographer. But if you're a photographer, you don't carry around a Polaroid. No. You, you have a, a real camera. Um, but essentially, they make out and they're fixing to do the deed. Rob Downey introduces uh, or interjects basically – Essentially, cock blocking Dylan McDermott. He shows up. He's he's sleeping on the floor, and they hadn't seen him. And mm-hmm. He wakes up. And he's like, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> so she goes back to her childhood bedroom. Uh, Dylan follows her up, but it is not to be. She wakes up early in the morning to see them taking off. Okay, so this is where uh, uh, we were watching this movie with a friend, and she pointed something out that neither of us, at least I hadn't thought of, <laughs> which is like, why is Robert Downey Jr. sleeping on the floor in the living room when? Holy Hunter's childhood room is still there for her. So what happened to his childhood room? Uh, doesn't She's make sense. the oldest. Right. He would have been the last one to leave. Right. So he should have a room there. Mm-hmm. Is it because he's gay? <laughs> That's up to the audience to decide. I don't know. Jodie Foster, maybe not as progressive as we thought. Well. I don't like that subtext. <laughs> Uh, she sees Dylan leaving, um, thinks, you know, maybe that was my my one. I know there's plenty of fish, but Leo might oh. be my one. <laughs> uh, she some, I, I guess they have a bunker, and <laughs> she uh, makes her way down there, and the dad's watching a bunch of uh, spliced-together home videos. And then I just have WTF, question mark, exclamation point, because there's just this speech he gives that makes no sense about them, it's, like, watching a plane take off. Is the holiday equivalent of the, the taxi driver speech from uh, um, Ray Romano's dad? Remember, mm-hmm. like, there's a point where oh, the yeah. Nero, like, asks him. Peter Boyle is Peter just, like, Boyle. going off, and it's making no goddamn sense. <laughs> it's the same thing, the, the holiday version, where yeah. he's just – but the sad thing is this is Oscar clip. Yes, and then you also realize that him and Aunt Gladys are meant to be because they're both batshit crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's well delivered, and Holly Hunter's trying, and he's also just you know giving it his all, but it makes no fucking sense. Right? There's, it's yeah, it's it's as well performed as it could be, but there's nothing there. Uh, and this leads to Claudia heading back, and she gets on the plane to go home back to Chicago, and then my last note is Christ, Leo is back, because <laughs> Leo's on somehow got on the plane with her. He's got his lamp that he stole from Aunt Gladys's <laughs> place, and he runs down this fantasy he has 
Which is kind of creepy. Yeah, just sit next to her on a plane for two hours and then they never have to talk again. <laughs> is, I mean, it's been a long weekend. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> it sounded a lot I know better. It, <laughs> fucking Titanic level shit. I know I only met you 18 hours ago, but here we go. Yeah. It's like some Terminator. Actually, it's, it's, there's a lot of James Cameron there because really the main reason he tagged along for this Thanksgiving trip with Robert Downey Jr. is that he saw a picture of her. Right, mm-hmm. that the, the naked picture that made him completely drop everything, whatever family plans he had. He just tagged along, and now he's also dropped out of whatever business meeting he was supposed to have, and instead he just gets on that plane. It's a shame that that picture of naked Holly Hunter isn't as iconic as the picture of <laughs> Linda Hamilton at right. the end of the first Terminator. Um, but yeah, and then we get our final title card, which says the end, and then <laughs> for no. Explicable reason Janice Joplin starts playing. I mean, truthfully, I got to give Jodie Foster credit because with that fucking nonsense, there's just no reason that it should end any other way. But the best part, I think, is that the title card before the end, the one for the last sequence of events, is called The Point. Mm-hmm. Right? So you think that we're finally going to get the point of the movie. Isn't the one before that like what now or now right. what yeah now what is i think before they go on the oh now what it's like it shows up now what and then you cut to leo fish playing the piano and singing uh oh God. with with the crazy ant right and mm-hmm. then and then yeah the the point leads into the nonsense speech from the dad and then whatever nonsense leo fish is peddling on the on the plane which is <laughs> So the point is there is no point. The point there, is, is, there is no, is no spoon. Well, and then we get the the home videos, uh, where we finally get to see Steve Gutenberg smile. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we get like a recap. But there's also Gladys and the dad making out. And... Right, and then uh, and I guess it's Downey Jr.'s wedding, or mm-hmm. at least him hanging out with not Dana Carvey. <laughs> and it's so amazingly '90s. They're like sitting in seats that were removed from cars on the beach. <laughs> And playing with shellfish. I mean, I, I, part of me wants to say, like, that's such a a cliche misconception of what gay couples are like. But then again, I don't know. I didn't know any gay couples in the 90s. So it's true. maybe they were just going all out there with the... Just hanging on the beach listening to gin blossoms, probably. Gay couples in the 90s are what hipsters are now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Right, just the clothes, the the hair, the, the self awareness, <laughs> all of it. Yeah, but that's the end of you know the longest Thanksgiving ever. Yes, uh, this a double feature of this with Family Stone. I think would just uh, I would have to have Family Stone second to watch. Well, the you bad would have taste. to, but yeah. also chronologically. I mean, you go Thanksgiving then Christmas. That's true, and it's then a- top it all off with New Year's Day. <laughs> I mean, because you haven't really had a full holiday meal until you've seen Robert De Niro being taken care of by Holly Berry. <laughs> Ugh. That was, that, was, that was some holiday. Yes. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's, do, let's do real talk. Let's do. No, uh-uh, because uh, the huh? boss thing. Oh, my God, that's right. She was also making out sliding lips with her 60-year-old boss. <laughs> Why did you do that? Just cause. Cause? Just for cause. Nobody tells me anything around here. Henry, Henry, 
give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage, I can't afford a carriage. You'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle. Nice work. Yeah, nice work, guys. As usual, I'll go calm her down. No, 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 I'll go. I said I would. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'll go. It's my wife. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'll go. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I just acted like I was two. <sighs> okay. The rest of us, we'll just sit here in the dark and keep each other company. Honey. Right, Gladdy? company what else is there and to the contrarians faithful i have been quite sick so if i sound a bit disheveled that would be the case uh it's not just the movie no oh the, that that expedited it or extrapolated it excuse me uh god the poster for this movie <laughs> jesus oh is it uh holy hunter on the fucking tarmac and there's like a shadow of a plane flying over her, and she just looks over it. Okay, that's not the one. I, show me. Oh, no, never mind. Okay, I was misremembering. Okay. Anyway, Home for the Holidays, starring Holly Hunter, who, man, she looks good in this movie. That's just complete sidebar. But uh, You believe that Leo Fish would make the trip? Oh, I would believe both of them would make the trip. <laughs> yeah. Would you make the trip for Leo Fish? God, he's... Dillig McDermott is fucking gorgeous. He's in this. never he's never looked better. No, ever. And yeah, she she looks very good in this as well. Uh, and Bob Downey, despite just the mounds of cocaine and heroin leaking out of his pores, looks quite good in this. Everybody looks great. It's true. I mean, even Steve Gutenberg. Well, he doesn't. He looks smile. unhappy, but he looks healthy. It's the they try to do everything he can they can to make him unattractive. Right. It's like uh, Jennifer Goodwin and Walk the Line. It's like, don't smile. It's a losing battle. People will learn that you're too pretty. (laughs) Um, Home for the Holidays, directed by Jodie Foster, uh, screenplay by W.D. Richter. Riker? Richter? Richter. That's possible. Anyway, released November 3rd, 1995, of course, for the Thanksgiving season. A budget of $20 million and a box office return of a little over $17 million. So, yeah, that would make sense because none of the cast at that time was really, with the exception of Holly Hunter. And it's not like people so were So the billing was up. Holly Hunter, Bob Downey Jr., and Anne Bancroft were the, the marketable ones. People only knew this David Strathairn cameo, man. <laughs> Uh, or even like I don't know if if Claire Danes. directed well yeah no but also if you said directed by Jodie Foster how much of that was a selling point I mean how much of that is a selling point right now uh, that would have been, I know about it but you know the average moviegoer I think that would have been right after Nell when, the, when she was nominated for the Oscar for that so that probably would, but still I mean tonally they're two different <laughs> movies but well she's not even in it that's the thing so no yeah, yeah I mean I. I don't know what you would expect from something directed by Jodie Foster. This Truth is her second told, movie, right? Uh, I, think, I think she did. Uh, I want to say it's Little Man Tate, which I haven't seen, but she. I don't know. I mean, it's like I think if you're a movie buff and you're interested in following her career or something, you'd go. I, I just don't see the movie being marketed as directed by Jodie Foster, but maybe they did that and it didn't work. Yeah, or it wasn't enough. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's not a good movie at all. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad movie. 
I don't think it's a good movie either. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was about to say, I, I think it's... I, I... Little Man Tate. Nah, there you go. See? Yeah. With uh, Oliver Platt? Yeah. Oh, I forgot she directed The Beaver. Which oh, I, there you go. Which I never saw. I, I've seen it. Eh. Uh, 2011. That was around that same time she made that movie with Roman Polanski. That made me really uncomfortable. Carnage? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Kate Winslet, my girl, it, it's, is there. It's uh, Jodie Foster, Kate Winslet, um, Dewey Cox, what's his name? John C. Riley and In Christoph the... Waltz. But mm, I like Rosemary's Baby. I like the Fearless Vampire Killers, but I can't really go around anything Roman <laughs> Polanski anymore. Repulsion's really great also. Wait, wait, wait. So it made you uncomfortable because... You're like, oh, Roman Polanski made this, or they make you uncomfortable because of the content. What, Carnage? Yeah. Because Roman Polanski made it, and it also just makes me uncomfortable that, like, they would, actors that I like would make a movie with him. Because it's not, it's not, you know, in this age. Right, there's no speculation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In this age of alleged things, it's, he can't come to the United States. He's like a fucking fugitive. So it's, anyway. We're getting way off track here. Uh, but maybe not quite as off track because I remember I mentioned this earlier and I was like, maybe we should mention from now on when is it that we're recording because we are uh, in these tumultuous times. To me, it works out hilariously, but to others, it may not work as well. Yes, I guess we'll, we'll get into uh, Zero Dark Thirty feedback later on after we're done with Real Talk. <laughs> but uh, let's just say that uh, it's happened before. I mean, we did... By no, we didn't plan it, but uh, when we did episode 20, Scream 4, it happened that we did it like right before uh, Wes Craven died, mm-hmm. and it was kind of weird. Yeah. Even though we never, we didn't really talk shit about Wes Craven. No. We talked shit about the movie, but. You guys did. I <laughs> uh, But anyway, yeah, we've, there's, I at this point, it's like we're going to be talking about Downey Jr. and Steve Gutenberg, and. Tomorrow. Tomorrow there'll be some sort of sex scandal yeah. about them, and then we'll look like assholes. Yeah, I think from this point, the thumbnails for the episodes are just going to be us holding the, the newspaper from today. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went into this pretty blind since it is a bonus episode. Didn't do the usual deep dives that I do in terms of you know looking up any interesting factoids, things of that nature. It was just a very disjointed, disorganized movie that I felt with the material that was provided, everyone in it did the most they could, but yeah, the material th- they provided were, were provided was not good. They're all embryos in my book, <laughs> really. Yeah, they go for it. I mean, if I had to give the canny to anyone, it would be uh, Downey Jr. And not because he's not trying; it's just because, like you said in hashtag CC, he was probably just just being himself. Yeah, minus the gay part, I guess. But he doesn't really see you don't see him like kissing any dudes or anything. So you he's know. he's happenstantially gay, like it, it, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, yeah. he's uh, but you know he's just crazy and doing crazy things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that on set I he was love, taking pictures of everybody. Yeah, I would love to see the original script where like the Tommy character is supposed to be very like tortured, res- reserved, <laughs> and yeah, shy and tone deaf and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that is the only thing I really read when I was doing a little bit of research of this, that, like, his heroin use was at a, like, his drug use was at a really uh, high point. Yeah, I remember, I there's a, dude, I, I remember seeing, watching this movie at least a couple of times, maybe more, back in, when it first came out, so I didn't even live in the States, and uh, 
I remember wanting to like the movie because I liked Robert Downey Jr. and I I liked Holly Hunter mm -hmm. and I liked Jodie Foster and I thought that the trailer, if you get a chance to watch it, it sells it as a like really funny comedy, <laughs> not really this weird mix of drama and comedy and in the movie, aimlessness. Yeah, it truly has like an identity crisis. Like, it, yeah, I, I can totally see what she's going for. I, I see what Jodie Foster is going for. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, fortunately, eight years later, <laughs> the model that or the foundation she built would be built upon with the family stone. I I have issues with the family stone. There are different issues than with Home for the Holidays. I think. I mean, I've told you my problem. My biggest problem with the family stone is that I think it's manipulative. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Home for Holidays even gets there. No. Because it's just too just confused. It's just running against walls and but but that's fine. I mean, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a funny comedy and I don't think it's a successful movie. Just I, I don't think that it tells a successful story. Uh I think it has a few moments. But I still kind of appreciate what Jodie Foster is going for. And not the stereotypical depiction of a family at Thanksgiving, because I think that's probably the worst thing in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, watching this before moving yeah, to Yeah, that States. scene is painful when they're, like, the actual Thanksgiving. Right, when yeah. they're, like, trying to cut the turkey or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I like what she's doing with the, with the, just the fact that everybody's talking over each other and there's no real, that sense of chaos, I like it. I, I come from a big family, and yeah, we don't do Thanksgiving in Peru, but we do big Christmas, mm -hmm. Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Day. And if you have a big family, there's that sense of so much going on at all times. Because when you have twenty people in a house, you know you have different conversations going on, you have different little stories going on. Uh, so I appreciate the chaos, mm -hmm. and I I get it. I I think it's interesting to see Holly Hunter's character, Downey Jr.'s character, to a point to just fluctuate from being exasperated and being miserable to just being amused by all the craziness. I think that that is an interesting thing to see because usually you see one or the other in a movie, right? Mm -hmm. You'll see a movie that would be just about Holly Hunter being the Steve Gutenberg character, where yeah. she's just like one, you know, she just hates the shit. Uh, or she's she just loves this shit and she just lives for it. But in this movie, she she alternates. In there are times when she's really down on herself, and and then like the next scene, well, because it's family, she just well, she still loves these people and she smiles and she hugs them and she tries to make them better and mm -hmm. whatever. I appreciate that aspect, but I don't think it works as a full on movie <laughs> because when you keep doing that kind of stuff, it really it just becomes exasperating to the audience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just I want to know where I stand, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe it would work better if you had characters that were not caricatures. Mm -hmm. But it's just hard to take any of them seriously. So yeah, and the whole thing is just. The interesting movie is Holly Hunter's character. That's what's interesting. And then they try to introduce all these other side storylines and things like that. You don't necessarily need... You can have a movie where, you know, the brother is Brad Pitt. It's like a high-level actor, but you don't have to, like, indulge in his story type of thing. It's it's weird. I recently rewatched Dan in real life. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Uh Steve Carell, yeah, his very, head on pancakes. Very, yeah, that's the poster. Uh, very similar to this in that 
Steve Carell's character, his performance and like what he's going through is very, very interesting. But the movie gets swept up in wanting to concern you more with everything else that's going on. And uh, I think that's kind of my issue here. I, I feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot more had it just focused on what Holly Hunter's problems are. Because 20 minutes in, you forget that she just got fired from her job. Right. Yeah. It, it's just, I think it's just so focused on being chaotic that, that it really doesn't, it doesn't give you anything else. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I just thought of it because I was thinking of just movies about chaos and big families and relationships. And the best I've, one, Family Stone? No. Uh, <laughs> Rachel getting married nails that tone. Rachel getting married is very good. It is, as far as big families, and that movie, it has really funny stuff. It has, really hardcore serious stuff mm-hmm. and it just doesn't i think it works it, it just nails that tone that this movie doesn't and i think part of it's also that it's just not very funny there's a lot of times where it's supposed to be funny and it just doesn't you know it doesn't work it, it uh maybe as a director jody foster just didn't have the chops to <laughs> to you know make things to direct the comedy i mean mm-hmm. the, the the timing and the pacing you know all the, the well. There's one thing Jodie Foster's known for. It's her comedic timing. Dude, she's great in uh, uh, that cowboy movie with uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, Maverick. Oh. Yeah, she plays, I think she's a hooker. Mm. And uh, she's really funny oh, right in a very surprising way, which would tell you <laughs> that's not what you expect from Jodie Foster. But, uh, yeah, she, uh, I don't know. It, like, I noticed, for example, and this is, like, kind of a dumb thing, but it, it is a thing it just there's no music in the movie that's not you know what i mean like all the music is coming from radios or mm-hmm. whatever mu- music that the characters are playing as far as i can remember except for maybe no even at the beginning because she's listening to her headphones mm-hmm. when she's curating that painting or whatever yeah and uh and there are times where i just kind of need a little bit of music to just add to the pratfalls mm-hmm. to the just all the nonsense with the turkey or with the hosing down the people that are fighting. All That's stuff. so bad. It loses a little bit of, of just that comedic energy when you don't have music. At mm-hmm. least that's what it felt like. When I was looking at all the stuff happening and didn't, didn't find it funny, I was thinking, why isn't it working? Because the performances are there. They're, yeah. These are funny people really putting it out like there. But... A very minimal score. I think, I think I remember like some ambient piano music playing when she's, she's watching... Dylan McDermott leave, but maybe uh, yeah. That, and even then, I, I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure. There's piano music definitely, but that's like <laughs> the dad playing it, and then uh, McDermott playing it later. Uh, the so the music was a thing. That, I mean, I, it's not that it bothers me, but I, when I'm thinking of ways that this could have maybe been better, mm-hmm. maybe help the comedic side, then uh, because here's the thing: if it's funny, if if it's something that's making me laugh consistently i don't care then that the characters are caricatures yeah that, you know because oh well it's clearly a comedy that might have some some dramatic moments but in this case it just feels weird uh have you seen city island Andy garcia no i didn't lot, even know that movie it's a lot like what you're saying it's a it's a movie about a big dysfunctional family type thing um it's very just by the books type stuff but the performances and like the story is just it works so well that it's really funny easy to laugh at obviously I, I would guess maybe Jodie Foster just was aiming for something higher mm-hmm. and and that's that's fine kudos uh, 
You know, if she just said no, no to the formula, we're gonna do this uh, more just realistic because in real life there's no music. Yeah. <laughs> and in real life everybody talks over everybody, and in real life uh, there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time. And there is uh, like the friend that we're watching the movie with. She actually enjoyed, and I do too, the fact that there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get resolved. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that by the end of the movie, she doesn't really fix anything with her sister. Mm -hmm. They're still on the outs. Well, that's fine because that's what life is. In a movie, a normal movie, well, everything will get wrapped up by the end of uh, Thanksgiving, right? Or by the end of Christmas or whatever. By the end of the movie, whatever big things have happened uh, in the character's life get wrapped up. Here, she hooks up with McDermott, and that's about the closest you get to some sort of closure. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the the approach to the material is interesting. I don't think it works. No. It doesn't help the comedy. And then the, the dramatic scenes, because everybody's so just two-dimensional, I think it just doesn't... It's just very transparent. Right. I like some moments. Like, we made fun of, uh, of uh, the dad congratulating... Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s husband not over the Carvey. phone. Not Dana Carvey. Uh, I, I like that moment. I wish there was more of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but then right after, Downey Jr. breaking down on the phone and yeah. going, uh, literally mm -hmm. saying, yeah, literally saying, I don't know how much I can take of this or I don't know if I can make it. Yeah, That's so over the top. Yeah, It really undermines the real, the honest moments, the, the, the real emotion. Uh, Claire yeah. Danes, yeah, can always use more Claire Danes in my life. Yeah, Catherine Brewster. <laughs> um, yeah, just it kind of is what it is. I don't ever see myself revisiting it. A lot of it was just, I feel like it was a lot of uh, really valiant swing and a miss type things. But I can't say that completely because there's a lot of just. It seemed like a lot of things that looked really good on paper, and then no one ever worried about the resolution portion of it because there's a lot of, and also some of the dialogue just makes no goddamn sense. It, it's very, uh, I don't know if this is an adjective, uh, very actorly, and I might mention it in in the podcast at some other point uh, when you can tell that this is just a movie made by an actor for an actor or mm -hmm. whatever, you know? Because like we were talking in hashtag CC, everybody gets their moment, yeah, and. Uh, you know, when they're reading the script, when they're selling them the script, well, no, but see, this is you get your moment. Right? Yeah, and like yeah. I, like I was saying too, this Jodie Foster would have been coming off an Oscar nom, so that's how not conniving, but um, it would have been easy to convince people. You know, do this for this could be a big thing, and right, and yeah. you get you get to play, you get to really stretch your muscles as an actor. And Gutenberg, you don't have to be silly; you get to be angry. <laughs> uh, God, I've never seen a guy try to fight a smile more. <laughs> The goot is just he he's too happy, man. He's happy. What did you say? Uh he said uh Cash is King. No, no, no. What you said was uh Holy Hunter is uh too good for this and Dylan McDermott is not good enough for it or something. I or like the yeah, the this is beneath oh, yeah. Holly Hunter and this is above <laughs> Dylan McDermott. He he tries, but I he's probably he's, the weakest link in that cast. I don't it's know if it's one the of the accent. only times I've ever said that Dylan McDermott's not out of his depth. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just don't. I don't buy that relationship at all. No, there, there's nothing to it. There's it just feels pretty fake from the very beginning. Uh, and whatever, even, like you know, a leave in Las Vegas type thing when you're using each other for a purpose, but at the same time, for the movie to end like 
Oh, there could be a future for that. Fuck off. <laughs> they have they have nothing in common. No. They, he in the big the big speech that he gives her in the car. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't uh, And that's where it makes me side with Holly Hunter and make me mad for her character. It's like she would just be using this dude cuz she's like in a bad place in her life and just needs like a, an escape and release type thing. But yeah, she's much smarter than him and <laughs> And it's never really explained why he's with Robert Downey Jr. They're friends. <laughs> but it's not like, you know, me and my family don't talk. It's just like, hey, I'm here now. Yeah, I had nothing better to do yeah. than that. Uh, because, like I said, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Peru. So watching this movie as a much younger person, it really made me I, – I did believe that, wow, Thanksgiving must be just horrible in the States. <laughs> Uh, and Americans must really just hate their family, and it kind of made me weary because I, it's not, I'm not a big fan of big family things. I'm obviously more of a fan now, but not just because I'm an adult, but also because I I don't live with them. So of course, you know, yeah. that's like the one time I see them uh, every year. But even then, I mean, I was nervous of what Thanksgiving would be here, and then I actually spent Thanksgiving with some people, and I was like, no, everybody's just having a good time and eating and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I would like to think that most families in America don't hate each other <laughs> no. to the level that this movie uh, has their characters, its characters, uh, hate each other. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's my personal thing. I don't want to be around someone I'm not going to be. So Yeah, it's just kind of I, – I think that might be the other big failing in the movie that it's just so overstuffed with drama because mm-hmm. really if you just took maybe one thing uh, – and that was the thing that was driving the movie. So Holly Hunter comes with her baggage. And then, well, I don't know, you know, the supposed long past affair between the aunt and the dad or, you know, or the or the uh, or maybe the fact that Downey Jr. got married and didn't tell anybody. I don't know. You know, just that one yeah. thing. But it's like everybody has some big dramatic thing going on. Yeah. Uh, what a fucking exhausting year. <laughs> yeah uh yeah and that that's again just final kind of nitpick at that all that drama it, none of it is around our main character holly hunter it should be like the fact that she lost her job is just inconsequential right i mean i guess you can sum up the movie by saying yeah life sucks and being around your family sucks <laughs> even more and then you meet dylan mcdermott <laughs> but but you might you meet... get to fuck dylan mcdermott <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you don't you don't know what kind of hunky guy is gonna be waiting for you at the next holiday reunion you don't so. know when your leo fish is just around the corner or the bank as it were uh it did make me excited for Thanksgiving, though. I was looking at all that food, and I was just thinking about my mom's cooking. So, <laughs> accomplish that goal. I'm very excited about Thanksgiving now. Uh, you know, we got so excited that we didn't read the quotes. Uh oh. I, I have four quotes, and we'll go through them real fast. Re- 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 rewind. <laughs> uh, got Steve Rhodes from Internet Reviews saying, There is a good movie contained within Home for the Holidays, which I suppose is why most of the critics love this show. For me, there are way too many failed side gags and characters that got on my nerves with their antics and mannerisms. Um, do you know anybody who actually calls movies shows? No. Yeah, me neither. I, it, but I think it's just like an old people thing. Uh, Rita Kempley from the Washington Post says, With many of the conversations going on simultaneously, it's difficult, sometimes even impossible, to know who is saying what and to whom. Agreed. Alex Sandel from Juicy Cerebellum says... Lame attempt at trying to make you feel good. Eh, 
not too far off. And finally, Dragon and to Love from reg.arts.movies.reviews says there are hundreds of films that have covered the same territory with better results. I mean, Family Stone was not out there. Uh, oh, no, it perfected the, the it, genre, it, the medium. Okay, you can admit Family Stone's a better movie, right? I think it's... No, <laughs> there's a right answer. It's a better movie, but it's less interesting. Fair enough. It sticks to the formula, and uh, but it's more manipulative, so I... I probably my desire to rewatch either is about the same. Oh no! <laughs> Family Stone's an annual watch. Man. <laughs> I would rewatch either of them with people. I not by myself. That's too bad. Do you ever watch the Family Stone by yourself? Yeah, if no one's around to watch it with me around Christmas, <laughs> I'll just watch it by myself. You cry with uh, Diane Keaton every time. No, I don't cry. I, I laugh. <laughs> Jesus. And I and I have a good time with the family stone. She dies. No, I don't laugh at that, but you know, our happiness brought us to this point of acceptance. You'll even get like a little misty at the end when she's not there. It's too contrived. <laughs> it, it's I mean, it's a I like the ending and I, I I don't know. Like the things in movies that make me cry that's not the type of thing that's going to do it. I, I really love that movie, like all joking aside, and I, I really like the way it's written and the way it's pulled off and everything. What's what's the best part of that movie? Um, probably the part in the car where uh, Luke Wilson's telling Sarah Jessica Parker about his dream, about how she was – he uh, was the snow. Uh, and yeah, that, that and Leo Fish had a dream too. Exactly. God, the parallels. But the chemistry between – Hell, um, Holly Hunter and Dylan McDermott is not anywhere in the same stratosphere. And Sarah Jessica Parker is not a good actress. She's done <laughs> she's done good things, but that's unfair. She's just people, she just has a lot of shitty movies. Yeah, her. I think people. What people always wanted was Carrie Bradshaw, but like in a toned down sense. Like, okay, well, you can't be as edgy. Mm. Like. um those fucking awful romantic comedies that she was in were always when people were trying to do Carrie Bradshaw PG-13. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you're completely missing the point of what made that character successful. So in things like The Family Stone, where she's written as the unlike, like almost the villain of the movie, and then also um, Smart People. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. She's a doctor in it, and um, I mean, she's... Her character, it's kind of unlike anything she I've seen her do. And then also Hocus Pocus. But uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it'd be unfair for me to call her a bad actress because she's not. What happened was she got shoehorned into a position that people didn't really know how to execute. And then so for something like Family Stone to come along. and But also her chemistry with Luke Wilson is really good in that. And uh, Yeah, you, you buy that versus here. Yeah, you don't buy a second of uh, Holy Hunter. And like Bill when Hunter. he shushes her at the end and puts her fi- his finger on her lip, you can see her being disgusted that he touched her. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. But I was going to ask you to compare the best moment of Family Stone with the best moment. What is the best moment in this movie? If, you, if I ask you, like, point blank, it's like, like, what did you enjoy about Home for the Holidays? Mm. I think, I, because that's the first thing that comes to mind, I just go back to the dad telling uh Downey yeah. Jr.'s husband, hey, congratulations. And, That's and- probably the most real and like deserved part of the movie. 
Because, like, as much as I like Holly Hunter, not just in this per se, but just in general, there's not, like, this great moment with her involved. She doesn't. Uh, something else I mentioned on Hashtag CC, and it also kind of bothers me here, it's just, it really, uh, it's an adult woman acting. Like a child? Like a child. You know, a teenager, if you're being generous. But she's being just... Her 16-year-old daughter is way more mature than she is. Yes. I now know I, I know that that's kind of the point, but I don't know if that helps the movie. Yeah. The fact that you just see her and you just... I don't know. I mean, nobody in this movie behaves like an adult. Yeah. But... So, yeah, that'd be fair. That, that phone, like, and obviously just for personal reasons, I always connect very easily to father-son type moments, father-son bonding. So I could make the analogy of, or the comparison rather, the scene where he accepts his uh, son's husband with um, Family Stone where Craig T. Nelson and Luke Wilson are, like he has to comfort him about his mom having cancer. Like so. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah. So that, that would be my parallels between the two. But I will be uh, revisiting Family Stone for the years to come. <laughs> Not so sure about this one. Just wait. Next Thanksgiving, you're gonna feel like something's missing. I know. I'm gonna be like, man, what the fuck? Something, something's missing. I, I need me some Holy Hunter. I mean, there aren't too many Thanksgiving movies. Yeah, and this one is directed by a woman, so <laughs> so it, it even narrows the field down more. But yeah, I mean, all the shit we just talked about, it. I, I'm not above you know putting it on as background noise <laughs> while I'm prepping the food. So. It's at, at least as long as it's on Hulu. Yeah, it like, doesn't cost you anything you exactly. So, yeah, any effort, any money, <laughs> I'm out. Speaking of which, um, Family Stone's not available on Blu-ray. That needs to change immediately. Hey, let's start. Hey, contrarian listeners, start <laughs> inundating. Uh... Well, I mean, you know, it happened for Masculine I was Phantasm. about to say, I, you know. Anything is possible. My Myself and my fellow nerds, we just tweeted at Warner Brothers incessantly until they – and you know you can't even buy it in stores, right? Like a special edition? It's like, like an on-demand basis. So they make it when you order it? Uh, I think from my understanding was they made just like a stock amount of it, and when they sell that, they'll see what the demand is afterwards. But I got that, the T-shirt, <laughs> the Phantasm pop vinyl. Is it is it like numbered like twenty five or one hundred? <laughs> Here you go, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Happy now? Yeah, I remember when that complete sidebar where that was announced, uh, screaming like when I saw that. And then immediately reading the comments of people bitching about the lack of special features. And I was just like, it's a fucking 20, 20, almost 25 year old movie that they actually went through the trouble of remastering from the original 35 millimeter print. And it's a movie that made no money. <laughs> and despite the cult fall, you know, just classic nerd shit. Right. Like, come on, dude. But anyway. Well, I'm sure if it makes you feel better, I don't think there's a Blu-ray of uh, Home for the Holidays either. <laughs> you gotta wait for Criterion to do the Joey Foster collection. They actually uh, they made a bunch of Blu-rays, but Bob Downey bought all of them, buried them in the <laughs> desert next to all the ET Atari games. Uh, uh, did you hear that Breakfast Club's getting a Criterion release? I think so. I think I saw the announcement a while ago, and I was like, eh. I mean, yeah. I, but uh, in that same crop, election is getting a criteria. See that I'll be more excited about. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think just to close, I guess with the bring us home, Julio. No, I was just because you mentioned Downey Jr. and I actually i I like him in the movie and I like his energy, whether it's just him being himself or him like acting. enhanced. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, 
I don't know. I I I don't think he works <laughs> as well as the movie needs him to. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of those where we can very squarely put the the blame of it on the director. I think that, uh, and I like Jodie Foster, but I think that she had all the resources, and by resources I mean money. I mean I don't know, maybe some budget stuff got in the way. But as far as having a talented cast. And at least the germ of an idea that could yield pretty good results. Get all these actors in one house. Mm-hmm. It's Thanksgiving. Go. Uh, but, yeah, there's something missing. And it, it's kind of weird to think that you could have Robert Downey Jr. in a movie. And for him to just – for so many of his comedic moments to fall flat so often, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just weird. Yeah. you know, There's something not quite working there. Uh, I wonder what they all have to say about this. <laughs> The cast commentary, 25 years later. Right. Let's let's do it. That would be far more enjoyable, I think, if they're being really candid mm-hmm. than watching the movie. If yeah. you just have them talk about, you know, what it was like and Downey Jr. going like, oh, yeah, I was, I was completely high out of my mind on this one. <laughs> and, and Holy Hunter saying, yeah, I was channeling like my 15-year-old or something. And I don't know. And Dylan McDermott's like, this was the, the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> This was it. This was the one <laughs> that I was supposed to be remembered for. So thank you, Criterion. <laughs> All right. So being it's a bonus episode, um, I don't really have too many plugs other than uh had a Uber ride the other day, and he was listening to the Unplugged album by Nirvana, and it made me remember, and I went back and re-listened to it, that that is clearly Nirvana's best album. It's like a pinnacle performance by that band as in, in general. Um, a lot of those unplugs back in the early days were really when bands brought their like 100% A game. Right. Like, and the artist cred. Exactly. And uh, the Allison Chains one, that that's towards the end days of Lane Staley. But that's one of my favorite albums of all time. So my plug, I guess, for this Thanksgiving episode, because it's not too heavy, you can put it on while you're. Simmer in the gravy and everything. The Nirvana Unplugged album is... I forgot how incredible it was. So Did you did you have that conversation with your Uber driver? Yeah, or? and he completely agreed. It was their best album. Yeah, I uh, I owned it. I That was the only Nirvana album I ever owned. And I, I have no shame admitting that I bought it just because that's what the cool kids were listening to. And then I, I think I... Did I tweet at you when you... As a response to your tweet about the... The unplugged. And I was like, honestly, the only thing I, I listened to was uh, uh, No Apologies, like over and over. <laughs> all Apologies. Isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's All Apologies. Yeah. yeah. So that was the only thing that I, I remember, like, listening to the other tracks every now and then. But really, if I put it on, it was just to listen to that song and then maybe like replay a, it. Like a true hipster, the only Nirvana albums I own are uh, Unplugged and Bleach, the, their first album from 1989, when Dave Grohl wasn't even in the band yet. <laughs> Hipster, indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I eventually I grew to like the band, but by then it was just way past. Oh, cool kids are listening to Nirvana. It was just more that, like what's that fucking Parks and Rec line where it's like uh, Aziz and Sari is talking about how far behind people in Pawnee are. It's like 2011, and people are just now getting into Nirvana. <laughs> I don't have the guts to tell them what happens in 1994. <laughs> uh, I. A bunch of stuff here, but let me just pick what I'm gonna uh, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote spacey and recording dates, but we already touched on yeah. that. Uh, no, the only other thing, uh, it's not so much a plug, it's more as, again, an amusing story. Before we get into uh, feedback for Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, an anecdote. Yeah. Do you uh, remember in our, our early days as a podcast back in the – during the Contrarians year one that there was another podcast called The Contrarians Podcast – Yes, And we had to constantly, every episode, we would make the distinction that, hey, we are the Contrarians, not the Contrarians podcast. We don't even know what the Contrarians podcast is. Correct. But it's there on iTunes. And then one day, they magically disappear from iTunes. And uh, and then for a blessed time, we were the only Contrarians on iTunes. We were the only game on the block. Yeah. Now there's like somebody else. I don't know what they are, but it's called The Contrarian. But Uh-oh. at least, you know, that's singular. We're plural. I think that the... We're less likely to confuse uh, listeners, but uh, I think it was last week. I was uh, I was talking to a friend and I was telling her about the podcast, and uh, and she was listening to the Bewitched episode, and then she's like, "Oh, you know, you're either gonna hate me or love me for this, but uh, I found some typos on your webpage." I was like, "What? No, you didn't." <laughs> Really? Because no, you fucking didn't. <laughs> yeah, there is no way that there are uh, typos. But let me check. And so she sends me the the link, and uh, and I go, and it's a Facebook page, and it's a Facebook page for the Contrarians podcast, which isn't even on iTunes anymore mm-hmm. or Apple Podcasts or whatever you call it. But their Facebook page is still on Facebook, even though they haven't updated in forever. And uh, so so it's there. It's still there. And I guess. My friend just went to Facebook and searched Contrarians Podcast or mm-hmm. Contrarians even because, you know, we don't have a Facebook page. And then she thought that that was us, even though, I mean, the description would yeah, make it clear. Yeah, I was about to say that... the material would be a bit different. <laughs> right. But, I mean, to be fair, I don't think she was really – I didn't even, like, remember I, – I, I didn't look, like, very much in depth. Obviously, the page says that there's two guys and that they're just – and do they have outrageous opinions? So so far, so good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I told her, and then she's like, "Oh!" And then I sent her the link to the actual web page, mm-hmm. which is also like on our intros. And so, uh, so anyway, I, it was a weird blast from the past. And I was like, "Okay, how long until Facebook does what what iTunes did and just gets rid of this page because there's no activity?" Yeah. Except just maybe, have to report him for hate speech. Except maybe my friend just like reset the clock on that one. If you just like that page, <laughs> there's no better way to uh, close the Thanksgiving episode, get into that holiday spirit, by uh, getting to some feedback about the Zero Dark Thirty episode. <laughs> yeah, apparently I cheesed off a friend of ours, <laughs> a, a fellow contrarian of sorts. Uh, yeah. Uh, a past Contrarians uh, co-host. Let me find his comments. He went on, on a pretty lengthy rant about... Sounds about right. Yeah, he was not happy uh, about our take. He, he he didn't record like an intro like he did for the Entourage episode? No, he was. it's too good to record for Zero Dark Thirty. He's, he was texting me about this, and then at some point he regretted that uh, you were not there, <laughs> uh, that you were not part of the group text. I guess the first criticism was... Uh, Listening to the Zero Dark Thirty episode, and I am mildly disappointed you guys didn't tie the decision to not show Bin Laden's body into the choice to not show the attacks at the beginning of the movie. What do you have to say about that, <laughs> Alex Mattis? Oh, I don't. 
a lot of that joking about Bin Laden, like seeing his body, it was just jesting for the point of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding in that I would like to see Alfred Molina in a Santa beard, but I'd be like, I don't fucking care. It's just like I, I didn't see I didn't see Bin Laden's real dead body. I don't need to see it fictionalized. <laughs> don't blame us. Blame Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> yeah. The main thing is I don't have to watch that movie again, so I'm good. Uh, and then he said, like you guys, I groaned when Alex referenced 500 Days of Summer. Talk about a reach. Oh, I know. <laughs> you're, you're proud of that. Like, uh, like I remember your eyes when I mentioned that and Looper together and you were like, choose your words wisely. Like, I know if Eddie would have been here, he would have had to, you know, he he would have been a bit, you know. Flustered by it, miffed as as you'd say. Uh, but I thought we all agreed that is a good part of Five Hundred Days of Summer. Right? Does he not think so? I don't know. I know none of us like it. I do. He he was so upset that I didn't want to like poke the. He was the, just shaking. The <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of typos of this uh, these texts. Uh, he said, "I know how much he loves smoking aces, so I'm rarely surprised." <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. That one fucking I popped for that. <laughs> I laughed a good amount, but the only jokes I really recall are Alex's barrage of long movie quips. I guess similar to the movie, he put a lot of work into those and wanted to get them all in. <laughs> uh, fuck you, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was Eddie straight not being very happy about our Zero Dark Thirty episode, and then of course this ties in with uh, our guest Kinsey Jones's. Unfortunate decision to uh, <laughs> to say to say that she loves Kevin Spacey is uh, as her plug and everything he does. I yeah. like. <laughs> oh, Kenzie clearly recorded before she Kevin Spacey <laughs> became public enemy number one. Appar- in Hollywood. Yeah, and man, just if we could touch on anything about that, I think we'd agree upon it's. That I, I'm not here assaulting. To- teenagers or any other adult is well bad. yeah well obviously it's fucking gross but and i'm not here to like you know be judge jury and executioner type thing but jesus what the fuck was he thinking the way he responded to that oh yeah that was that's i mean that's obviously not the worst but that's probably like the the dumbest thing about that whole story there's a lot of like gross creepy shit but then who's the pr person <laughs> yeah who like greenlit that like <laughs> right. this will work it's like I was saying, I was joking earlier about, did you read, like, Dustin Hoffman's retort to, like, the sexual assault claims towards him? I didn't. No, I saw the story, and I was like, well. It's pretty classic Dustin Hoffman. It was just like, I'm sorry if I did anything that people construed as disrespectful, like, that type of thing. And it's just, even that is a bit more than, like, with Spacey, he tried to, like, in a it, sense, it, almost it, use it to get sympathy for him. Right, he tried to pivot. <laughs> it's like bad choice man yeah yeah that is a but yeah the this, point of this podcast is not go deep into those things but god what a fucking idiot this has been the contrarian on sexual assault <laughs> and uh sexual preferences in summation it's bad <laughs> it's bad apologize face up to it i guess yeah it's uh it's all really concerning and it's truly unfortunate but um but yeah i guess to just tie it back to the original point is like guys if uh who who have we praised in the in this episode uh that we've actually praised oh, against dude, family like, stone people <laughs> like uh, just from my personal experience i would i can't go back and look at like uh 
old things I would have posted online or old praises that I had for Chris Benoit, who's like one of my favorite wrestlers. And then he fucking murdered a woman and his child. <laughs> and it's like, you know, that's something that personally just due to my connection to him, I haven't exactly, you know, uh, it's been 10 years since that happened and I haven't been able to process that. But to that point, it's like with the way the age we live in real, right now with all the real time shit, it's yeah, I could say right now that, um, Chris Hemsworth, great guy. <laughs> and then tomorrow, you know, he fucking raped a Cambodian. Like, you know. Right. I'm like Thor 3, Thor Ragnarok. Go watch it. Yeah. Oh, wait. Maybe not. <laughs> turns out he's a sexual predator. Yes. I'm, like I said, it's hard for me to say things like how great Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby are because I know what a piece of shit Roman Polanski is. Yeah. I've been... I've been uh, it makes it – I don't mean to make it about myself, but I, I imagine a lot of people are doing the same thing, which is just wrestling with the separation between art and the person doing the art, mm-hmm. right? It's like would the worst piece of shit human produce great art? And if so, what happens? Like are you – do you just ignore it because fuck this person or can you appreciate the art by itself? You know, let's mm-hmm. say that you you can actually put aside that you manage to put aside what you know about the author. Can you appreciate it? And you know, is that okay? <laughs> Does it make you a bad person if you suddenly say, you know what, Kevin Space is a piece of shit, but I still like American Beauty, and I mm-hmm. think he does. He has like a hell of a performance there. You know? And that's man, we're getting real. I know, it's um, like fucking Thanksgiving after talk. But that is a true danger and peril of our society right now of how everyone's split in the terms of people have taken their sides. And I'm just talking in a general sense also. And because the climate is the way it is, you have to take your side 1000%. So there's it, the sensitivity is such that if you even imply that American beauty is still a good movie, some, Oh no, 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 you're, you're wrong. It's and it's that whole thing. Like, like I said, I don't like Roman Polanski and he is a fucking fugitive and what he did was horrible, but I can still objectively admit that Repulsion's a fucking great movie. Can I, does that make me feel good about myself watching it? No, that's something you have to digest. <laughs> like that Chris Benoit thing. I can't watch any of his matches at all. He was so good at what he did, but I know what happens in the end. And like, I, I can't revisit that. So it it is a very, you know, interesting thing. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I think that it's you just how many think of this that you know it's not crazy to just assume that you have to add that disclaimer now from now on, where it's just like, I know this guy is a piece of shit, mm-hmm. but yeah, the work is good. That doesn't mean that he is worth anything. Mm-hmm. But what are you gonna do? The work is good. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, when something's good, it's good, and it's. Do awesome. I think that she he that we should keep like you know give him money to do it you know it's like especially if he's not really uh uh you know sorry about it or anything you know if all you're getting is some sort of like pr uh a drafted apology public apology you know is there what kind of restitution are you doing for your past crimes mm-hmm. or whatever you know it's like okay that's awesome harvey weinstein is supposedly fired or whatever but then and what happens then you know mm-hmm. it's like i don't know i really i just i was reading you that headline while we were getting ready to record that got about spacey being replaced from a movie that's finished mm-hmm. they're reshooting his scenes 
That's that's really severe. I mean, that's crazy. And it's like, but it tells you what the studio thinks their loss would be if they went. Right. With exactly. It. So okay. So you have that from a PR point of view. It's like, well, we're doing it because it's a business, mm-hmm. and and Spacey right now would kill any movie that he's in, mm-hmm. right? But then he's fucking eighties Travolta right now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, but then you have beyond the PR as a person. How do you feel about Kevin Spacey just not working, like blacklisting him? Is that what's the moral line? And I'm not asking this as if I know the answer. I mean, exactly. I know I know like what my gut reaction is, which is like, oh, you know what? Anybody that's like a sexual abuser or whatever, they mm-hmm. just don't. I have no tolerance for that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's yeah, it's it's just um it's hard to say. It also just with all that because like Dustin Hoffman, right? You were mentioning him and it's like I don't know if he's still harassing women at mm-hmm. his age right now and what he did back then, it's like how much of it was just him being a pig versus him being actively a predator and Dustin, to be fair, too, Hoffman's been in the game a bit longer than Spacey to the point where, like, some of that behavior was probably the norm back in the day. Right, but it's still— Not to say it's okay. Right, right, but it's still pretty, like, disgusting, and I'm 100% with anybody that's offended by it, that's disgusted by it, Mm -hmm. that doesn't want anything to do with him because of that, but it's like— To take a livelihood away from someone type thing. Right, it's like, how do—are you—is that really where we're going in— I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right thing to do. It might be, uh, you know, well, if that's him. if you want to send like a hardcore message of like we will not tolerate this anymore, and if you fucked up this in this particular way, and I'm not talking about somebody that's like, you know, molesting someone. I'm just talking about like some idiot that's making women uncomfortable by making remarks about their body or by mm-hmm. you know grabbing their bum when they shouldn't, right? Yeah. You know, and like the hardcore flirting or whatever. That if you ask them, they could very sincerely say. Well, I thought I was flirting. I didn't realize that I was like making them uncomfortable. Yeah, I, that's true, and it's not. I, I don't mean to keep bringing this back to Roman Polanski, but then it becomes that whole double standard of he's still making movies, right? Yeah, okay. The Polanski thing, though, is just like insane because that is true. That that's like in a vacuum of its own, right? So. That is a, uh, and people still work with him because they think there's no. You know, know. it's allegedly. No, it's not allegedly. (laughs) That is. That's the point. Yeah, that is a fact. And yeah, it's. um, But that is the thing right now. And any any at all controversy or, you know, if you're at all a lightning rod for attention, you're you're fucked for the time being, which, again, you are a sexual predator that your livelihood should be taken away from you because you're a fucking criminal type thing. Yeah, I, I I don't know. As an audience, it's difficult to process. Right, as a member of the audience, I just you know, I wish somebody told me like what the right thing is, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't question it. Mm-hmm. That I would be like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. I wish I'd thought of that, and now I can just go on living my life. You know, it's like yeah, because there you don't know what the right answer is because it's what the answer is right now is the absolute extreme. As soon as any whisper, something starts, that person is done. Yeah, and I think that maybe that is that could be the right answer mm-hmm. because you know, as a culture, we just need a shakeup, just you, a reset button, right? To you like just need start to just, from fucking zero, and right? Say, hey, and you just go back, rebuild. History will talk about the big Weinstein Spacey mm-hmm. <laughs> times when 
everything changed. Yeah. It's hard to, though, when our president's been accused of oh, sexual assault. Oh, we yeah. went there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think, see, like, history keeps moving, you know, and it's like, maybe Hopefully. it starts in Hollywood and then just... We only got seven more years of this, man. Oh, fuck that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Constrarians going off on the weirdest tangent, and I think if I wasn't telling you earlier, I think I was planning on telling you that I was so proud that we just don't really go off on tangents <laughs> for too long. <laughs> Well, fortunately, this isn't one of our numeric episodes, so... Right, this is a bonus episode. You knew what you were getting into. Yeah. Anything could happen. It was a fucking Jodie Foster movie about Thanksgiving. Exactly. The cuffs are off. We're, we're rolling here. But that will conclude this episode of The Contrarians, this bonus episode. Um, this, chronologically, will fall after Loser and shortly before Big, correct? Big, the big finale. The... <laughs> nice. That's exactly why you saved it. Uh, I am just beyond excited for Robert Loggia to make his finally at long last Contrarian's debut uh, it's our second Hanks movie right after that thing you do correct and then oh we're doing a double Hanks we're gonna have big yes and then, and then uh, uh, Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Atlas I'm gonna have to take a day off work for that one <laughs> it's gonna have to be a Saturday watch yeah for yeah. real um, but yeah we, we do wish you the happiest of Thanksgivings uh yeah, if you have Hulu, go ahead and pop on home for the holidays while you're prepping why not? the food. If, why if, not? If you haven't seen it, yeah. you know, why not just give it Holly a whirl? Holly Hunter looks good. Dylan McDermott looks good. Bob Downey's out of control. <laughs> just, just give it a view. And, of course, any questions, comments, concerns, complaints... You want to you want to hear us go off the rails a bit more? Let us know. Oh God, no! <laughs> we'll just like a bonus episode of itself will be the contrarians further on sexual assault, <laughs> which nobody needs to listen to that. And we'll sandwich that in between, like fucking uh, what would be the best movie? Joe Dirt and the English Patient. <laughs> the summer of nineteen ninety nine.